I'm going up to bat and I'm thinking, I'm young, I have a future, I can't stand too close to the plate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, back in bed. You're gonna get a hole back in your in leg. The box and off the plate. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. Two fans, one mission to bring Major League Baseball to Oregon. Powered by the Portland Gear Store and Guardian Games, this is the Diamonds and Roses podcast. And without further ado, your hosts, Ben and David. I'm Ben. And I'm Dave. I'm Frank. And welcome welcome to to the the Diamonds and Roses Roses podcast. Hubba hubba. (laughs) Yeah, today we have a great episode for you of the Diamonds and Roses podcast. What do we got going on today, Dave? Well, we have a guest today uh, that I've been looking forward to quite a while. We have Mr. Frank Peters in the studio. Exactly. Frank, how are you today, sir? One day at a time. (laughs) One day at a time. (laughs) Yep. When I played baseball, basketball ended in March and I got I have one day of spring training, and then I've got to hit the 90-mile-an-hour fastball. That's crazy. And no reps. Yeah. N- nothing. And you can't swing a bat mm-hmm. when you're playing yeah. basketball because it it it, uh, it changes your shooting. Yeah, the muscle memory. Yeah. And so uh, you have to focus on basketball and then focus on uh, – because I was a guard and I had to shoot. So uh, let's see. In June, I signed, and I went. they sent me to Stockton. And I hit really well. And so the, they were concerned that I might get drafted to show you how baseball was. They could draft you their first and third year, so they needed to hide me. So they brought a little short, chubby guy in with the name Peters and, and put him <laughs> in my place and sent me to double A ball. Something like a Connie Mac move or something. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's awesome. And so when they go to scout me, they see this little little guy. No way. Play a doppelganger. That's yeah. funny. And I'm in double A ball with Earl Weaver and Andy Etcheberry and Paul Blair. And the uh, interesting thing about about that year was that a guy named Steve Delkowski, and they're writing a book about him. Uh, right now, because they've uh, sent queries and I've talked to them, supposedly the hardest thrower ever in the history of baseball. Really? And if you, when you get off this, look him up, Steve Delkowski. Delkowski. And uh, mm-hmm. the, part of the story in the bo- movie Bull Durham was kind of based upon his life. Okay. Yeah. Uh, the crazy Tim Robbins kid. Yeah. yeah. And he was yeah. like that. And he Nuclear was. Luke Lelouch, I think it was. Yeah. yeah. Luke, and he. Yeah. Uh, Only uh, Steve Nikowski was left-handed, and supposedly the rumor is he threw so hard that he. Well, uh, in those days he had a uh, had to clock you specially. He had to throw through an area, right. and he couldn't get get the ball through the area. Right, but um, he took a guy's ear off. Anyway, I was the last guy in the history of of his career to face him. Really? Yeah, he he he. I played with him when he was with, he originally signed with Baltimore, and I played with him in Stockton, and then they uh, traded him to the Angels, and I think he was playing for San Jose, and we're playing him in the playoffs, and he's in in pitching, and we're ahead, and I'm, I'm going up to bat, and I'm thinking, I'm young, I have a future, I can't stand too close to the plate. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, back. You're gonna get a hole back in, your in leg. the box and off the plate. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, you could hear the ball he threw so hard, and he wow. and he had lost a lot off his arm. And I was the last pitcher I think he faced in pro ball. He walked huh. me, 
and they took him out. So you, you wow. get walked your first at play, <laughs> right. and then you get walked by the guy that throws like the hardest in the world. Yeah. yeah, both left-handers and both real uh, talented. Uh, uh, what you call uh, uh, unusual ball players. Hmm. Wow. Uh. So we're in this period where you're between Triple A, between Double A, because they don't want you to be found to be right. sent up, and after after all this, this goes. Then what? Then, then where I, does Frank Peters go? Th- then I go into the big league roster, and now I'm playing Triple A ball, and I play under Earl Weaver, Cal Ripken. Hmm. I'm playing, and there's this kid in the batter's box, and I'm in a little bit of a slump. And uh, Cal Ripken Senior is the right. uh, is the uh, is the manager, and I ask the guy next to me, "Who's this damn kid?" And taking my swings, he says, "Well, that's Cal Ripken Junior." <laughs> He's a, it's a coach. Iron man himself. He has yeah. a coach's son. Let her leave him go. All right. So um, uh, now I'm and at the AAA level. You're Baltimore's having the real good teams. Mm-hmm. Brooks Robinson. They have my my buddy Ed, Eddie Barnowski goes eighteen and three for Baltimore, Phew. and that was the year they had four twenty game winners. Wow. Has that ever happened before? No, I don't, I, don't, know. I don't know if that happens. Jim Quay, Palmer maybe on that team? It was Quayar, Palmer, Dobson, yeah. and McNally. Okay. And and now they don't they don't they go with five starters, right? right. Yeah. Yeah. It was a four man rotation. Yeah, you know yeah. not even close to anybody winning twenty games now. Yeah. Four yeah. four guys. I think it was like a four man rotation up to the yeah. like late nineties. Yeah. So I'm in an organization where I got no place to go. Brooks Robinson is not the marginal ball player that I thought, you know. With his name. Yeah, he blossomed into being, not only was he a nice guy, he was really good. And so I asked him to trade me, and that's when I wound up playing for the Portland Beavers. Until finally the Portland Beavers go to Spokane, and I, I had opened a bar in Portland, and I... Looked at looked at what I could make in baseball, and and if I had a really a great year and I make rookie of the year, mm-hmm. uh, what would I make? I'd make thirty thousand a year, and if I had really another great year, I'd make fifty thousand. If I had another really great year, hmm. I might make eighty. And yeah. I didn't have I didn't even know if I had one great year, let alone three. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, and and I was making more than that in my bar, hmm. and just about the time I went to make that decision. Bar was called Peter's Inn. It was kind of like a, a Cheers. Where was it located? Downtown on on Fourth and Taylor. Okay. Mm-hmm. And they put a Marine recruiting section section right above my bar. Okay. So two things happened at the same time. Better business because of the Marines. Yeah. Oh, they came down in their uniforms at about three <laughs> yeah. o'clock, and the and that the was ladies. And, and the number two thing happened was the sexual revolution, <laughs> <laughs> and they practically the women practically trampled you to get it in in, yeah. in. So the party started at three. You're a great time to be a bar owner. Yeah, oh, in the 60s. Yeah. Golly. Yeah. Yeah. I call it BC. You know, not before, before chlamydia. No, before <laughs> before computers. Oh yeah, before cell phones, and before cocaine. Yeah, yeah. Just right before the there. three and, and then you yeah. added another one, chlamydia. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So you're you're now the the beavers now leave. You're this bar owner, and you hear of uh, being Russell 
wanting to bring baseball back into uh, the Portland metro area, right. and he has this this idea. At this time, how much press was out about this specific idea and his the, vision? The, the, all of the sports writers drank in my bar, so I made sure I had, I had special go. sports writer prices. And one of the things that I would say when I, because I attended bar there somewhere, I say, all right, closing time, everybody out of the bar except the sports writers. <laughs> And then we was right. Was right. James, one of them, was he in there? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, uh, he doesn't drink now. I don't recall him ever okay. drinking, really. But the, the Nick Bertram and Ken Wheeler. Oh, okay. They, Ken Wheeler. They, yeah. they were the writers. Yeah. And, and uh, but um, so the word on the street was that the Mavericks it's not going to work. Frank, don't get excited. That was what they told me. It's not going to work. Mm-hmm. As an independent ball club, yeah, independent ball club, and 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 who really cares? And the Beavers, and and kind of had a bad taste because the Beavers, and so they came to town, and they had this manager, Hank Robinson, mm-hmm. who slept in the clubhouse. Yeah, has a shower, has everything there, right? Mm-hmm. Save it on rent. There you yeah, go. and uh, he was an ex-marine, disciplinary, and had played pro ball for. 10, 15 years, 300 hitter, tough guy, real solid, tough, good old, hard school, good old boy. And and him and Bing had been in Hollywood together forever. Mm. And he'd had teams, because when he came up from from uh, from Los Angeles, he'd brought some ball players with him. Reggie Thomas was one of them, mm-hmm. and a couple other ones. And then the rest of them they got from around here. From the from the port the local tryouts yeah uh-huh. yeah and so towards the end of the first season he got in kind of a shoving match with uh, no what, what Bing asked me to do was to pitch a game as a, as a uh, exhibition game against mm. the Eugene Emeralds a Triple A team Emeralds and, or Triple A at that yeah time. Mm-hmm. and they had Jim Bunning who was their manager yeah. who was a Hall of Famer mm-hmm. and he was going to pitch against me. And I got this little knuckleball that kind of goes up there and kind of dies on home plate. But I can throw it. I can throw it for a strike. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to throw a knuckleball, and Jim Bunning's going to – and we promoted it. And we get a pretty good crowd, about 4,000 people there. Yeah. And so I go, and the, the, the Eugene ball players I knew them all, are walking down the, the ramp coming down there. And I'm out there right field yelling at them, oh, you can't hit me. Now I'm going to throw my best stuff at you. <laughs> You sorry ass, blah, 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 blah. And so they're going up there trying to squeeze the sawdust out of their, oh, out of their yeah. bat, right? Yeah. And they're hitting home runs up the uh, up the telephone booth, you know, straight <laughs> up in the air. Yeah. And we beat them 15 to 4. Nice. And old Bing is just excited as hell about that. And Hank had punched the umpire before that. Yeah. And, you know, he didn't just punch him. He knocked him out. Ooh. Yeah, and this is this Not is after sure. the the that when the ball went past the catcher. Yeah, the catcher threw the ball. It hit the and other guy son, in the leg. His son. Okay. So Hank was kind of defending his son a little bit. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it was kind of a weird thing. The umpire should have never done that, but there was probably stuff going on before that also. So okay, he just laid him out. He laid him out. Right <laughs> now he's now he's trying to justify it. <laughs> so. Uh, 
for whatever reason, because of the draw, and I think the sports writer, I think Ken Wheeler, talked uh, talked Bing into hiring me. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I said, well, I said, I want to do it my way, and you don't have to pay me. And um, Ken says, well, Frank, already you're wrong, because the league rules say they have to pay you, so that means you can't do it your way. <laughs> so what I did is, um, and I say in the documentary, that I got on the same horse with Bing, Bing in the front and me in the back, and I did it his way. Mm-hmm. And uh, we, had a, we had a great run, because... Mm-hmm. Uh, Baseball, for all intents and purposes, was dead in Portland, Oregon. Yeah. Yeah. Let's take a step back to, you know, you, you know, Ken Wheeler and, and so on. But with, with you and Bing, beyond winning, like, what, what was his expectation of you as a player manager? Because I know that he initially, when he started the Mavericks, wanted a player manager as the, the, the for, to manage the team. But with Hank, he, he didn't get that. And then with you coming in, you're the first player manager of the team. So what right. was what was his expectation of you as not only a, a player, but as a manager coming into this team? Okay. Well, what we had, what we learned some key things from the beginning. We learned that we could actually put on a tryout camp and get some ball players. Mm-hmm. And we learned that the rules said that you could have one veteran on the team. And that was the playing manager. Now, Bing liked that idea, and and I hit about 300. So, I mean, I – but the problem with that is that you've got ballplayers that want to play so bad and that you're taking their playing time, mm-hmm. and, they, and they will eventually resent that. Yeah. So it's okay. it, it may work for a little bit, but sure. if you want to keep the clubhouse, one of the things that Hank, I think, had lost is he had lost the clubhouse. It had become a, a, a conflict between the ballplayers from California and the ballplayers from the Northwest. Oh. And by the time I came on as a manager, I owned a, a, a bar that was like Cheers, and I had a, the, the hottest discotheque with the hottest women, uh, all called Peter's Habit, at the same time. And these ballplayers didn't know what to think of me. And if you got cut, but you were any good, you got to work in my bar. Okay. And if you're coming into my bar as as a ball player, these gals that are there, they're looking at you as fresh meat. Oh, yeah. You're going to get abused. Yeah. <laughs> Used and abused, yeah. right? Some of the ballplayers never wanted to come back. <laughs> They got lost. That's funny. <laughs> yeah, still in the bar. And you said it, you said the, uh, in the I think in the documentary or something else that I was listening to that the the, the ball players often ran up a, a significant tab oh. on you. And you know I, I had to feed them, you know, and and they could eat. Yeah, oh yeah. And it was and you know what are you going to collect? I, yeah, I couldn't. One of the reasons I said no rules on the team when I took it over was that there was no way that I could be more of a disciplinarian than Hank Robinson, the guy in front of me. Right. So mm-hmm. I figured I'd go the opposite way. Plus, how am I going to punish them? Take them out of the game? Well, then, then, then they're not playing, right? Mm-hmm. right. And what am I going to find them? If I find them, then I got to feed them. Right? Yeah. <laughs> might as well shoot, my, yeah, well shoot yeah. myself in the foot. Yeah. yeah. And the only time I had a confrontation was with Reggie Thomas. Sure. Right? And he, if Hank made him apologize. Hell, he thought enough of me. He went and got a gun. He was going to shoot me. The reason he didn't shoot Hank is he didn't think he could kill him. <laughs> 
next best thing. Yeah. <laughs> so Frank would like keep charging after him. Yeah, Bing and I are sitting out there in right field, and, and Jim Emery comes out and says, "Frank," he says, uh, uh, "Reggie's got a gun, and he's going to shoot you." And Bing and I are standing there, and then here comes Reggie in his uniform with an attaché case. Now, when's the last time you saw a ball player coming across the field with yeah. an attaché case? Yeah. Sketchy. Yeah. And he comes up to me and he says, Frankie says, I'm going to shoot you. <laughs> and Bing says, hold it, Reggie, hold it here. He says, if you're going to shoot somebody, you're going to shoot me. He says, I want top billing. And you spell Russell with two L's. <laughs> Headlines. <laughs> and Reggie goes, hmm, and turned around and walked away. So there was a little uh, uh, there was a little bathroom there that had a lock on it, so they locked me in the bathroom and I slide the lineup card out and I'm thinking What? I'm thinking, what kind of what what kind of baseball is this? There's five thousand people in the stands and I'm afraid I'm gonna get shot at home plate. But the I thing of it is probably yeah. going through your brain is is that I don't think this door is gonna stop bullets. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and so I crossed out the other guys, they put Reggie back in the game. I said yeah. no, it's not worth it. <laughs> What a, who's, I'm not teaching anybody any lessons here. <laughs> Speaking of Reggie, so in the documentary, he talked about how Bing bought him a car, and he was about three blocks no, no, away. No, no, and no, drove no. He, him sent, in. he sent a limousine service oh, to pick him up every day. Yeah. So out of this, from three blocks. <laughs> so out of this negotiated deal, I wind up putting Reggie back in the in the ballpark in the lineup. I don't get shot. Bing gives him limousine service from the from the. Mallory Hotel, which is only four blocks away, and somebody asked him, he says, well, why, uh, why give him his, well, let, Reggie wants to be a star. So Reggie would hit a double off the wall and stop at first base. Just so he could steal second? Well, he got a free Slovakia every, every time he stole a base, oh, and wow. Bing wasn't paying very much. <laughs> oh, man. So at least he could do is trade him. Jeez. <laughs> But he's going to wind up on third anyway, so why yeah. why get up? We stole seven bases one game. No way. In the first inning and had two uh, uh, bench clearing brawls. So you, you were a small ball team that annoyed other teams, essentially. Oh, the, the, what we found, here's what we found out. We found out that, we, that, that our veteran player needed to be a pitcher. Yeah, Bowden, maybe. Well, Bowden, and then we had a guy named Jim Rustic, and, okay. and because as a, we could find hitter, enough hitters, but you needed that extra pitcher that could, that could throw change-ups and curveballs to these guys because they were young and they hadn't really learned to hit them. Mm-hmm. So we could find a guy that had a lot of skill, that lost his fastball, but still had his breaking stuff that could fit. So we found out that. We found out also that we had to get them early. Mm-hmm. So the key to Bing and I, was that we found out what it took to win at that level, and the psychology of the other team. Yeah, what, yeah, what, yeah. what it took to, to drive the bus, so to speak. I mean, one time I asked Bing, I said, "Bing, if we get rid of Reggie, I think we can win the pennant." He says, "Frank, he says we need to draw people and win the pennant. Now, if we get rid of Reggie and replace him." Well, can you guarantee me that? I go, I said, we might, we might win the pennant, and I don't think we'll draw people anymore. I think we'll draw less people. So, based upon what the goals were, then I got to figure out how to live with Reggie, right? Yeah. And I did. And Mm -hmm. he he steals 72 bases, sets a record. Mm -hmm. I mean, the Hillsborough Hops this year, 
the whole team didn't steal 72 yeah. bases. Yeah. So he has, and then he went on and played uh, after the Mavericks were gone somewhere in Idaho or somewhere. It didn't work. But he got, you know what number he got? What's that? 747. <laughs> he said, I'm, I'm like, a, like a plane. <laughs> I'm a jet. With, staying with Reggie, so you said in, a, in an interview a couple, few years back that Reggie had uh, either, <laughs> you think, been murdered or has right. gone undercover. And no, he, because he, of being in the witness, witness protection program or, or, or something, and that you said you were going to try to track him down. So where are you at on t- tracking down the Reggie Thomas right okay. now? Okay. After the season ends, I get a I get a, a letter from Billy Getz, one of the players, where Reggie had swindled him out of fifteen hundred dollars, which was a lot of money in those oh, days. Oh yeah, yeah. And uh, then I get a phone call from uh, my buddy, one from his roommate. Uh, Reggie had set his brother up, who at that time was a cocaine dealer, hmm. and so um, the fellow. Uh, I won't mention his name right now because he probably doesn't want it. But anyway, he asked me to testify on his brother's behalf that Reggie was not a truthful person, was a dishonest person. Hmm. I go, okay, I'll do that. (laughs) So I'm in federal court in Seattle. And and I don't know if you've ever seen federal court, but it looks like a... It's scary. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'm on the wrong side of the law on this. And there's Reggie there with the FBI. No way. And so he was a paid informant for the FBI, and they uh, convicted uh, this fellow, and he spent eight years in prison. Now, Reggie also, so he got paid for doing that. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I talked to June Germany. June Germany said that they'd cut his head off. So Reggie apparently is they assassinated him and decapitated him. So Reggie is dead. Not with us, huh? Zed's dead, right? Yeah. Wow. Like she said That's on the motorcycle. Insane. Where'd you get the motor? Where'd you get the motor? Fiction, right? Yeah. Well, Zed's Zed, dead. Honey. Zed's dead. <laughs> so, um, so we get. You get to the end of this the this season, and I think it was in '75, and you you guys were up by so many games. Right. Like, I think we had 20 to 22 right. games at that point, and you were in Walla Walla, and you come up with this crazy idea where you're going to sit half the team or whatever, right. all, of, all, all of the team except for nine people, right. and you're going to rotate those right. nine people every single inning to a different position, right. and that you, you said that the uh, the scorekeeper or whatever had. One quick thing, note on Reggie. Reggie got his name. They had a um, they had the dog track here, oh, and they yeah. had a thing oh, called Rusty. Yeah. And they used to say, "Here comes Rusty," which was the little rabbit, right? Yeah, that ran around the thing dog track. Well, the announcer also did the PA at the Mavericks. Well, by the time he got there, he was a little bit drunk. Right? <laughs> It's a dog track. So instead of being here comes Rusty, it was here comes Reggie. Well, <laughs> Reggie got caught up in that. Right? Oh, Reggie doesn't steal all those bases unless he gets he gets uh, inspired by right, this. Right. Here comes Reggie. Okay, so back to the nine players. One of the things that you needed to do is keep the players engaged because they'd already, this was their last dance at the OK Corral. Mm-hmm. 
this was their last go at baseball. So they, if they didn't like it, they didn't need it, right? So it was up to me to make it entertaining. I think the, who's the manager for the Chicago Cubs? Uh, uh, Joe, uh, Joe, Joe Madden. Joe, Joe Madden, Madden, yeah. yeah. Joe Madden. I think that's one of his things, to keep him engaged. Yeah. You know, does you need your managerial style, yeah. Joe Madden. All right, bring a, bring a llama in at the clubhouse. Yeah. Or, you know. <laughs> Have him dress with yeah, yeah, And so I needed to do this with these guys and, and keep them off balance because the secret to my managing was if there's 24 players on the team, you want to keep the 12 that hate you away from the 12 that are undecided. So you're not winning a popular. It's not a popularity contest. Yeah. It's it's a it, it's a, a thing that you're going in a direction, and they don't have to like you, but they have to uh, believe in you and trust in you. And so, uh, what I did is I I put nine players on the field, put the rest in the stands and bought them beer, <laughs> and the reason I did that is so they couldn't quit during the once you started you. Because if you quit, then there's nobody to take your place. Yeah. Because I knew that they weren't going to like it because most players don't want to catch. Mm-hmm. Right. Oh, yeah. So I put Reggie on the mound to start with, and I put Cliff Holland, who was a left-handed kind of a – he was a pitcher. He was artistic. He wasn't – his idea of catching was somebody else doing it. You know? Yeah. And so I put him behind the – he caught, caught with his first base club. So uh, Emery – who was a scheduled pitcher, wanted to win 10 games, and he'd already won nine, so I had to convince him to give it a try, and maybe he'd get a win out of it. Because 10 games at that level is like 20. In the, yeah. Okay. So anyway, it wound up we went 8-5, to, eight to five, and Emery gets the win at the right time because the score changed. It was like God shined down on us. Yeah, people play and, in different positions. And, and, right. And I don't think anybody will ever do it again, yeah. especially mm-hmm. – even uh, I went this year to the, we had the Maverick Night at the Hillsboro Hops, and I took the article and gave it to the manager of the Hops, and I signed it. Better, better to ask forgiveness than to ask for permission. And I said, "What do you think about you trying that?" He said, "I wouldn't make it through the first inning before I'd be fired." Yeah, a little different. Not yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he had to sit down when he looked at that. And I said, you know, and it worked out. And so everybody um, was engaged, they had fun, and we made actually sports history out of That's that. That's cool. Wow. With this whole career that you've had from playing ball to then coaching on a professional level, and now where we're at with. Uh, Major League Baseball coming to to Portland, and and I say that because I believe it will come to Portland. What do you think translates from your career, and what do you think can be moved into uh, baseball coming to Oregon? Like, what do you? What's your advice to this whole thing? Well, I I think I say the same thing that, that Russell Wilson reflected is that Portland is really really a, a quality neat town, mm-hmm. and it's. It's hugely different in the last 10 years than it was before. Now, I've been in the bar business forever in this town, you know, for 40 years. I've had 10,000 bartenders. And just to add a little note, I know 100 ways that they steal. You know what the problem is? They know 125. Yeah. So so you have to stay on top of your game with, with, with the people and stay in touch with – and. 
Portland is decisively different, and it's a quality, quality town. And I, yep. th- I think the magic of this town is that, that um, if you look at when the Blazers came, they originally only drew 3,000, 4,000 people. And they sent uh, Bill Shonley out to towns like Pendleton and Astoria and, and, and to make the Blazers the, the uh, team of, of Oregon. Yeah. And it took them a long time. But they have a quality, quality franchise that the people really, really identify with and care about. Mm. The difference is that baseball allows more fans to go to the game where now the Blazers are pretty much sold out, pretty hard to go to the game. Mm-hmm. Where in the old days, you went to the game, paid six bucks or four bucks and walked around and kind of it was like walking the um, walking the mall. You got to see all the ball players. Mm-hmm. And I, I might add that, that uh, uh, I've been honored to be able to, uh, I played basketball in the off season uh, during this after baseball. And the team that I played on, the East Bank Saloon, has just been initiated into the Oregon Sports Hall of Fame. Oh, cool. And so I'll go, I will be inducted with uh, people like Dale Schluter and Leroy Ellis and, and all of the basketball names and Pudgy Hunt that, that, have, that have played in Portland and in Oregon. So really, the uh, I, I think Major League Baseball is going to be more of a sports story than just a baseball story. Yeah. yeah. And that's what, that's what I think of when I think of like the Mavericks because – you know, the title and one of the things in um, titles that was put out by the Oregonian and they had the headline in, in the Battered Bastards of Baseball. And it was like, baseball, Portland's forgotten sport is coming to life again. And I feel like that's where we're at with, it, you know, two tries at getting baseball. And I feel like the Diamond Project is is, is putting something together that's going to be successful. Yeah, it's all about timing. Yeah. And, you know, and I think, the, I think personally the time is right now. Yeah. And the time was right for the Mavericks. And the reason the time was right for the Mavericks was because you had two sports writers that were Nick Bertram and Ken Wheeler were quality, quality sports writers. Both of them had, had covered the Blazers. They were big time. Mm-hmm. And they needed something to write about that summer. And they put us on the map. Right. And now the the Way Brothers, they do the documentary, Battered Bastards of Baseball, mm-hmm. which is considered now a documentary classic. Yes. Mm-hmm. Rotten Tomatoes gives it 100%. Yeah. yeah. And I, I, I saw on the internet the other day that Netflix considers it one of the three best documentaries wow. ever done. Yeah. And That's I, I, I got to say that after watching that, I had goosebumps watching the yeah. whole entire thing. And I was emotionally drained right. by the time that that documentary was done because it was just it, it brought me through so many different right. levels from yeah. like wow this is interesting to oh my god like look at what they're doing to holy shit right. yeah. to like pissed at the right. end or like why are the they taking and yeah everything like why are they taking away to excited about the arbitration because, because in, in the documentary you know and all these things going on but Portland is really the star and Bing made it the star. He says, mm-hmm. this is the greatest, this is the greatest town. And they said, well, are you going to do the Mavericks somewhere else? And he said, no. He says, I can't take these boys to another town. This is Portland, Oregon. Yeah. yeah. And I that, mean, the attendance draw for a small Portland. Yeah. Small oh, city. Okay. It was, and it went from zero. It's unprecedented. And in, 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 in today's world, it would have been 
Well, we had 16,000 people a couple times. Yeah. Amazing. And 16,000 people and a streaker. (laughs) (laughs) And the streaker was so slow that he walked. And nobody nobody cared. (laughs) He didn't didn't even get arrested. Let him go. Yeah, passed on through. The only only comparison that I can think of, and Dave and I had talked about this, as far as team-wise, that can even compare it to the Mavericks in any minute way is the 2004-2005 Boston Red Sox. Because if you take a look at Boston, I mean, the Red Sox are Boston. And, right. and yeah. they looked like the Portland Mavericks right. did in the 70s. Yeah. And they called themselves the Idiots. And, you know, all I can remember Johnny Damon with, like, the long right. hair, crazy the big beards, yeah. crazy personalities yeah, yeah, yeah. and goofballs. Yeah, and the Mavericks finished up wearing neckerchiefs like cowboys. Yeah. And if the pitcher got knocked out of the game, they went up to home plate and sang Gene Autry's Happy Trails to You. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> I mean, there was no end to it. And part of what we did was... One of the things that I did was we need to put on a good show. So we put on it. The only thing that I required, I didn't actually require, but I I goaded him into it, was to put on a, a big-time infield where you have everybody involved. You're hitting, you're hitting fly balls in between short and third, and the ball comes around, mm-hmm. and, and the whole team is blanketed in uniform. Had a, because at that time, these guys are just – Signing, and they're kind of in the instruction mode in infield. And when they saw us take infield, they looked at us as being seasoned, professional, big-time, intimidating guys. That worked for the first three quarters of the season. Right. But by the end of the until season, the intimidation. Yeah. yeah. Until the but we made the whole league a better league. Yeah. And then they always at the end always brought down. Some guys to beat us. Yeah. But that's still t- intimidation because oh, yeah. you intimidated them to scare the crap out of them to oh. want to bring these guys down to it's play you. It's a match in your cap. They were willing yeah. to sacrifice right. development and, and, and wins to right. bring guys down that shouldn't have been down. And, and yeah. we, we yeah. understood all that because, mm-hmm. I mean, when we would go into their batting practice, you know, when we go on the road, we didn't have batting practice balls. Part of the thing was stealing their balls. <laughs> so... At the end of the year, they had special balls for us that were duct taped together. (laughs) So is this where the whole thing of bringing balls back to baseball or something? Yeah, there it is. And Reggie's job was to get whatever balls he could get. Yeah. Well, my my last question that I have for you, and this is something that Dave and I, you know, initially when we started this, we're like, there's no way they can do this. But then we, we just... Uh, recorded our episode uh, last week on the Portland Mavericks, and it'll come out, you know, shortly. And by the time this one comes out, it'll already be out. But uh, we talked about it when Portland gets a team, whether or not they should use the Maverick name. Where do you stand with with that? My my whole theme with what I is, and I tip of the cap to you guys. It's called keeping the legend alive, mm-hmm. and 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 I think Bing would have kept the Maverick name, okay. and I just look at it as a compliment. You know, I, I'd I'd be honored personally if they would keep the Maverick name, and you know, we're the we we we, we 
we're the magical roots that they came out of. Mm. You know, I mean, yeah. the thing that killed it was Elvis Presley died and Mount St. Helen blew, yeah. you know. So it took mm. all this time for the people to come back around. I'm curious who they're going to find are going to be the owners and and involved. What I want them to do is that if they do use the Mavericks name, okay, they need to come up with a special broom that shoots flames out of (laughs) it and have Todd run the bases with this broom, like just like, like running around. That would be epic. Yeah, I I don't know how much... I don't know. I mean, it was kind of getting out of hand. The, that, yeah. That's the vibe I got. Yeah, the vibe I got, it was kind of getting out of hand. <laughs> and uh, I don't know if you know my background, but if I can say it was getting out of hand. <laughs> that means something. That means something, yeah. Yeah, because most of the stuff we did, we, I mean, first thing you did was when you, you needed, as a manager, I needed to know where the city park was. So if we got kicked out of the hotel, we had someplace to go. Park the bus, build a fire, drink beer, and wait for the game the next day, right? And yeah. if you want to sleep, sleep on the bus sure. or under the bus. Sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> are there anything, uh, any events that you'd like to, to talk about that are coming up or any, yeah. anything that are, that's going on in, in your life or with your pursuits that uh, are coming up in the next few months? Maybe or? on the 25th? Yeah. Oh, okay. The tw- right. The 25th, uh, myself and some other fellow ballplayers are inducted into the Oregon Sports Hall of Fame. Congratulations. For uh, basketball. And... Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd like to also add that I came in second place in a beauty contest. <laughs> Everybody else tied for first. <laughs> oh, well, excellent. Yep. Well, this has been great. Um, thank you, Frank, for coming on uh, this show. Really thank appreciate you, you taking your time. Taking the time yeah. to do that. I mean, this has been, you know, mind-blowing to me. And I'm glad that we are able to learn more from you about not only the Mavericks, not only about other ballplayers, but also about yourself because it's, you know, I did some research. I was trying to, like, figure out more about, like, you as an individual, but I really wanted to, to go more in depth on who Frank Peters is, who, what Frank Peters' career was, and what yeah. got him to where he was. I'm Oregon-born, Oregon-bred, <clears throat> and uh, uh, lived here all my life, you know. And uh, I want to add one thing about Bing Russell, you know. Yeah. He was kind of a cross between between Tom Hanks and uh, John Wayne. He had the he had the cowboy, good old boy, uh, John Wayne, and he had the sensitivity and the artistic uh, feeling of uh, Tom Hanks. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, Bing really understood the magic of Portland, and uh, this was his town. Boy, he loved it. Outstanding. Well. For me and Dave, thank you again, Frank, yeah, thank you uh, for coming on the show. I, I really appreciate it. And you've been just a wealth of knowledge and excitement throughout this whole time. Well, thanks. Yep. So uh, that's it for uh, this episode. Uh, you know, catch us out on uh, Twitter at Podcast Roses. You can also find us on the interweb at dnrpodcast.wordpress.com. That's dnrpodcast.wordpress.com. Congratulations to Frank for getting inducted into the Sports Hall of Fame for a second time. This is Dave, and this is Ben, and I think we're going to sign off. Great talking with you. All right. Peace out.